This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is. The Subway to Shea podcast is back. Episode 39. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please also take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to know so I can make this show better for you each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, and leaving a few comments for a review, that will help me know how to better serve you guys in the future. If you're a new listener to the podcast, thanks for joining us. If you're already a fan, thanks for your continued support. I appreciate it each and every week that you listen. We have a lot to talk about today, but before we get into it, I wanted to thank Nick Davis for coming on the latest episode to discuss the ESPN 30 for 30 film titled Once Upon a Time in Queens, which covers the amazing run of the 1986 world champion New York Mets. Nick directed the film, and it was great to hear a lot of his insights and behind the scenes on the production of the film and on the 86 team. I hope to get Nick on this show again in the future, and I also wanted to thank you, the listeners. I've received great feedback on the interview, and I love hearing from each and every one of you, whether it's through Apple Podcasts and the review section, like I mentioned earlier, or if it's on Twitter. I do talk with a lot of you guys on Twitter, and I appreciate the conversation, appreciate the interaction, and I'm always thankful for each and every one of you. Now, on with this week's episode of Subway to Shay. So, Let's start off with, you know, the big thing that happened on Sunday, the Mets missing the playoffs. The season over, not only did they not make the playoffs, they didn't even finish above 500, finishing with a 77-85 and record, 11 and a half games back in the NL East, and 13 games back out of the wild card. You look at their records home and away. Had a great home record, 47 and 35. Away, that's where things went downhill, 30 and 51. And against 500 teams, 33 and 53. The runs scored and the runs against differential was minus 32. They used 64 different players this season because of injury. Now, if we take a look at the hitting for the New York Mets, the Mets finished 20th with a 238 batting average. And it was a struggle for this offense all year long. They struggled so much. And if you look at the team leaders in batting, most of it taken up by Pete Alonso, who had a pretty good season. 
batted 262, 81 runs, 37 home runs, and 94 RBIs. He led the team in all those categories. In stolen bases, it was led by Jonathan VR, who had a surprising year himself. No one expected that from Jonathan VR, but he played very well. Now, the biggest problem for the Mets was scoring. And if you look at them, any way you try to look at this team's offense, they could not get big hits. Not only that, they had a hard time playing small ball. Last in Major League Baseball with 23 sack flies. So it was hard for them even to get a run home on a sacrifice. They were 7th in the league in double plays with 123 and 27th in total bases with 2,034 total bases. Now this team struggled to steal bases. They struggled with speed. As you've seen, only 14 stolen bases led the team and that was Jonathan VR. And he had trouble on the base paths all year long. Not because he's not fast, but the baseball IQ, you know, he was getting picked off at an alarming rate. So the offense struggled. Now we take a look at the pitching. The ERA for the entire team was 390, and that's good for ninth. A rough second half changed all of that because they had a pretty good first half. But when you go down and lose the ace of the staff, when you lose Jacob deGrom, it's a tough pill to swallow. Who else did they lose? David Peterson. They lost Joey Lucchese for the entire season due to Tommy John surgery. They didn't have Noah Syndergaard for Tommy John surgery. They got back Carlos Carrasco, who was still going kind of through spring training for most of the year. It was tough for this pitching staff to stay afloat in the second half, especially when the all-star, Taiwan Walker, kind of ran out of gas. But there were bright spots in the pitching this season. Marcus Stroman, 10 wins leads the team. He also led the team in earn run average with a 302 ERA, strikeouts 158, and a whip of 115. And obviously when it comes to saves, Edwin Diaz had 32, which was better than how he played last year and in 2019 when he had that awful year. So the Mets pitching was good pretty much up to the second half. And that's when everything went downhill for the team. And that's why they're sitting at home. The offense wasn't great all season long. The pitching took a dive in the second half because of injuries, because of overuse, because some guys have not even played full seasons. Tyler McGill came up from the minors and had to take on a big role. We mentioned Taiwan Walker. He kind of faded and got tired. So with that said, I want to look and grade this New York Met team. And if you're listening to this right now, which, you know, obviously you probably are, I want you to let me know your grades. You can tweet me at Subway to Shea and let me know your grades for the team this season. I know a lot of it's going to be negative, but I would like to know what you guys are thinking. So let's start off with the New York Mets offense, which I have to give the entire offense a D. They don't get an outright F, but they get a D. Let's look at the players now. James McCann, 10 home runs. 46 RBIs, 232 batting average, he struck out 115 times, had 32 walks, on base percentage of 294, 349 slugging percentage, and an OPS of 643. Now, when the Mets signed him, everyone thought he was kind of the counterpart to a JT Real Muto and a guy on the rise, but he kind of played up to his speed if you don't count the 2019 and 2020 seasons. He struggled with Detroit and batted around, I want to say this, you know, 240 he was batting when he played the five years in Detroit. 
So if I have to give a grade to James McCann, he is going to get, I'm going to give James McCann a C this season. Why? Because he was a significant upgrade defensively, and that was what was important when transitioning from Wilson Ramos. Wilson Ramos obviously gave them the bat in 2019, but 2020, his entire game suffered. So the fielding and the pitch calling from James McCann is what gives him a C for me. You go to Pete Alonzo. I'm going to give Pete Alonzo an A-. minus. Batted 262, he mentioned it, 37 home runs, 94 RBIs. He struck out 127 times. That's the most um, in the lineup. But for me, he kind of carried this offense. Now, he struggled in big spots, but is he supposed to hit for everybody? He can't. And if he had people in the back of the lineup and back of him or in front of him starting to hit, things might have been different. But he did carry his own for most of the year. He was back to his old 2019 self. Kind of actually was a hybrid because in 2020, he struck out a lot as well. But it's good to see Pete Alonzo get out of that sophomore slump and play well this season. Jeff McNeil, who started at second base, moved into the outfield once Javi Baez came. Seven home runs, 35 RBIs, a 249 batting average. He got that batting average up, but for most of the season, he just struggled. So he gets a D, and I hope that we could get the old Jeff McNeil back who was hitting doubles and line drives and hitting him into the gap. We need that old Jeff McNeil back if he's going to stay on this team. You go to the shortstop, Francisco Lindor. His first season was a struggle. It was a big-time struggle batting 230. But in September, it kind of seemed that he changed. It kind of seemed like the guy that we thought we were getting. And it's encouraging to see him end the season, 20 home runs, 63 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. He only struck out 96 times. So for Francisco Lindor, I'm going to give him a C+. Now I know it's not only about offense. His leadership and his defense played a huge role on this team, and I thought that he did that. If it was just defense and leadership, he would get an A. But the offense comes into play. He struggled most of the season, started to pick it up, got hurt, Comes back and struggles a little more, but then in September picks it up. Had that big game against the Yankees, a three-home run game. And that's what you hope to see from him moving forward. Struggled those first two months, and that really kind of dipped his average. But a C-plus for me, for Francisco Lindor. Let's go on to Jonathan VR. right? He ends up being the starting third baseman for the New York Mets. 18 home runs, 42 RBIs. We mentioned he led the team in stolen bases with 14. 249 batting average. I'm going to give Jonathan VR a B-. It could have been higher if he didn't have such a struggle on the base pass. But he wasn't expected to start. He was expected to be a bench piece. And when all the injuries happened and he had to start at third base, shortstop, second base, he played well. And he's a guy I would consider for the bench moving forward. I would consider re-signing Jonathan VR for the bench. So... He gets that grade from me. Dominic Smith, left fielder for most of the season. got Kind of got taken away once Baez came in. Still was struggling. They put McNeil out there. 11 home runs, 58 RBIs, 112 strikeouts, batted 244. I'm going to have to give Dominic Smith. I got to give him a D. D for Dominic. But no, seriously. Dominic Smith, I had so much high hopes for, and he just struggled for most of the season. Uh, I know he did not get put in the best situations when Luis Rojas wouldn't let him hit against lefties, and he was hitting well against lefties, but he just struggled down the stretch that I give him a D. We go to Brandon Nimmo. 
8 home runs, 28 RBIs, struck out only 79 times, walked 54 times, batting 292, a 401 on base percentage, led the starting lineup with that, slugging 437, OPS 838. Brandon Nimmo gets an A for me because he's one of the only, besides Pete Alonso, offense to show up this season. And he did his part at the leadoff spot. And you can tell once he got hurt, that was it for the Mets and their offense. So Brandon Nimmo gets an A for me. We go to Michael Conforto. And uh, <laughs> this was a struggle all season long. I know he got his average up to 232, but his on-base percentage, 344, slugging 384, OPS 729, 14 home runs, 55 RBIs, and 104 when it comes to strikeouts. Conforto for me, man, such a struggle. I had to, you know, put him at at a D. I expected so much more from Conforto, especially, especially when it was time for him to step up and elevate his game and really lead the charge because it was his walk year, and we all expected him to do well. I wanted the Mets to sign him in the offseason. This year, I'm not sure now so much going into this offseason. I'm not sure. He struggled most of the season. I expected a lot more from him, and uh, we'll see if the Mets give him the QO going into next year or if he signs elsewhere. Let's go to the bench, and the bench mob had their good run. You know, you got Kevin Pillar, 15 home runs, 47 RBIs, batting 231. J.D. Davis, 5 home runs, 23 RBIs, 285. You got Tomas Nito, 3 home runs, 13 RBIs, 222. Luis Guillorme didn't play as much this season due to injury. He batted 265. You had Jose Peraza, who was a big uh, pinch hit specialist, 6 Home runs, 20 RBIs, and a 204 batting average. And then you got all these guys, Billy McKinney, Brandon Drury, Mazika, Al Moore Jr., who really didn't do anything, Mason Williams, who played, Cameron Mabin, Travis Blankenhorn, Janeshwi Fargus, Khalil Lee, Wilfredo Tavar, Chance Sisko, Jake Hager. I mean, everyone was on this friggin' roster from the bench. And I have to give them... We'll give them a C plus because for the most part of when they filled in, they did their job. Then, you know, we kept cycling through all these players. The struggles came. Kevin Pillar struggled. J.D. Davis couldn't overcome his hand injury. The Mets took away the split job from Tomas Nito and James McCann, and they both suffered. Uh, Luis Guillorme down, you know, towards the end of the season didn't really play as much. We lost Peraza to injury. It was what it was. For this team and their bench. I thought they succeeded for the most part. But you know considering that this offense was such a struggle. That's why I didn't give them the you know higher grade. I almost forgot. Javi Baez. Nine home runs. 22 RBIs batting 299. You know he had his struggles in the beginning when he first came to the Mets. And the whole thumbs down incident. But after that he freaking took off. And had a great second half to the point where now the Mets are going to consider having to re-sign him and team him up with Francisco Lindor to be that second short tandem. I'm definitely considering wanting to have him return. He played very well down the stretch. So I give him an A-. minus. Overall, the offense struggled so much. And I don't really know how far this team could have gone if, one, they stayed healthy and the guys lived up to expectation. But hopefully next year, 
they kind of change this offense around. Some people may be traded. Some people we are big fans of may have to be traded. I need to see a different lineup moving forward, and I need to see this offense, you know, come through. Like I mentioned with the sack flies and, you know, station-to-station baseball speed. We need that because these guys just didn't get it done. They didn't get it done in 2020. 2019, they couldn't, you know, make it into the playoffs. 2018-17, the offense struggled as well. So now we move to the starting pitching, and I want to give the starting pitching a C plus. If we're talking about overall season, let's give it a C plus because once the ground went down, this team just struggled. They struggled. But we go pitcher to pitcher here, right? Let's go with Jacob deGrom. He was 7-2 with a 1.08 ERA, 92 innings. He was on pace for a unbelievable season, a historic season. Going back to the year of the pitcher, 1968, and uh, Bob Gibson, he could have been the MVP. He could have won the Cy Young. Injury took him out of the game for the rest of the season. But from what he did... He gets an A+. Even if it's half a season, he gets an A+. He was out of this world. Must see TV every start. So he gets an A+, for me. We go to Marcus Stroman. 10-13 and 13 with a 3.02 ERA in 179 innings pitched. He led the team. He led the team in strikeouts, 158. I give Stroman an A. I know a lot of people don't like him. I know the record doesn't show it. But Marcus Stroman held his own. He held the team. He kept them together. His pitching kept this team alive. Now, if they scored runs or not for him, that's a different story. That's why he's got 13 losses and only 10 wins. But Stroman did his thing, and that's after taking 2020 off. So he gets an A from me. Taiwan Walker, after a hot start, think went 7-3 in the first half. Went to 7-11. and 11. Didn't even get a win in the second half. 4.47 ERA. Let's give Taiwan Walker a... Hmm, what should we give Taiwan Walker? I'm going to give him a C plus. And unfortunately, Taiwan couldn't stay in it till the end. He, he, I mean, he pitched well towards the last couple of games of the season, but he was already gassed. And, you know, there's only so much. Hopefully this season, now with the full kind of season under his belt again, he can get back and pitch well like he did in the first half. Tyler McGill, 4-6 with a 4.52 ERA, 89 innings pitched, 99 strikeouts. Pretty good seeing him come up. Hopefully, they will not have to rely on him next year when they get some depth in this pitching staff. Tyler McGill is going to get a, for me, I'm going to give Tyler McGill a C-. A C minus for Tyler McGill from me. We'll go to David. The rest, let's, let's, you know, talk about the rest of these guys that came in here. The David Petersons who struggled. I know he got hurt, but he, he you know, D for him. Rich Hill, although he finished 1-4, 3.84 ERA, always kept the Mets in it. You know, let's give uh, Rich Hill a C going forward. Carlos Carrasco struggled mightily, 1-5. With a 6.04 ERA, I'm going to give him a D. You know, he always struggled in the first inning. It was rough for him. And um, it was just tough to see him have such a hard time trying to get out of the first inning. Hopefully, all the injury woes and the extended spring training for him, hopefully that is out of the way and he'll bounce back next year. Let's go to the relief core, all right? And I'm going to just lump them all together. Edwin Diaz, Miguel Castro, Trevor May, Jury's Familia, Aaron Loop, 
We're going to get into him in a few minutes. You had Seth Lugo. So many guys were on this team. Yanis Diaz, John Reed Foley, Jared Eikhoff, Jacob Barnes, Heath Embry, Brad Hand, Corey Oswald, Tommy Hunter. Oh my goodness, the list goes on. Jordan Yamamoto, Robert Stock. Wow, Hildenberger. I mean, even Noah Syndergaard came in for two innings this season. The bullpen for me gets a B because they were overworked by the time the second half started. I thought they played very well. A better season, not a great season from Edwin Diaz because he had a 3.45 ERA. Miguel Castro, 3.45 ERA as well. He pitched a lot better. Then last year, Trevor May, 3.59. Jerry's for me, a 3.94. I mean, you can do a whole lot worse. And these guys did their best to keep this bullpen together. Aaron Loop, the glue, 0.95 ERA. Him alone, A+. He was 6-0, 0.95-year array in 56 innings. What a season for him, and hopefully the New York Mets sign him. And that's it for the grades for me of what I thought the Mets did this season. Now, you can tell me on Twitter your grades for the players. I know a lot of people <laughs> I feel like are going to give Fs out, but I-, I wanted to be fair. I wanted to be fair out there and do what I thought they... Um, well, what I, my assessment as a fan was of how they did. But um, we're going to look at the coaching staff and the manager, right? Let's look at the coaching staff and the manager, Dave Jow's bench coach, Hugh Quattlebaum, or as I like to term him, Hugh Quattlebaum, hitting coach, Kevin Howard, assistant hitting coach, Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach, and Luis Rojas, the manager of the New York Mets. Well, the offensive strategy gets an F for me from Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard. Uh, they, I feel like they didn't adjust. They didn't do what was needed to get this team to to get these guys in better positions. It was the same thing every day. Every game felt like the same thing. That's why they were losing by one run game. That's why they couldn't get sack flies. That's why they couldn't get the big hit. So they get an F from me. Jeremy Hefner did a great job with the pitching staff first half. I'm going to give Jeremy Hefner a B plus because even after the second half and all the struggles and injuries, he still did his best to keep the pitching staff together. And um, I thought he did a pretty decent job. Louis Rojas, you know, I don't really know what to give him because I feel like he just went and stayed analytics the whole time. Analytics, analytics, and analytics. And we've all talked about bringing analytics to the New York Mets. But I feel like at some point, you got to have a feel for the game. And in certain situations, you got to know. And I don't feel like Louie had that. There were too many big spots in the game where I think that Louie did not put his players in the best position to win. Now, it's not also all on Louie. The offense didn't live up to expectations. But there were a lot of times in this season where I thought Louie kind of cost them some games with some of his decision making. And that's just how it is. So I got to give Louie, I got to give Louie a D. It was a struggle. And I don't know how much more analytic based and analytic driven you have to follow the entire game. I thought sometimes maybe you go with gut instinct, but there just didn't seem like any of that. It was just following the script and you can see in the press conferences it was you know going through the motions for Louie and the and the coaches and that's why I think that he you know deserved D and considering what we're going to talk about next as we continue on with Luis Rojas I think it was fitting that we ended giving him a grade of D Luis Rojas 
Dunn as manager of the New York Mets on Monday. The Mets declined Luis Rojas' option for 2022, which means they will be looking for a new manager on top of looking for a president of baseball operations and a general manager. So the Mets are still undecided on the fate of Zach Scott after his DUI, and we're waiting for the fate of the rest of the coaching staff. Now, for me personally, I would let the new front office pick their team. And unfortunately, if that also means that Jeremy Hefner's gone, who's probably the only coach I'd save, then so be it. Because I want the front office that comes in here to be okay with everyone that they put on this team moving forward. The writing was on the wall for Luis Rojas. And we go back in time and look at the history of Luis Rojas. Worked up his way during his tenure with the Mets from 2007, even when he was in the Dominican League. He took over in 2020 after the sign-stealing scandal that cost Carlos Beltran the manager job, and Beltran didn't even get to manage a game. And in two seasons, the Mets didn't make expanded playoffs. That was in 2020, which only, I think, four teams in the National League didn't make expanded playoffs. Then, this year, the Mets could not take care of a terrible division. They led for almost 90 days, and then they blew it. And I think this is one of the biggest collapse, I don't know if it's Anthony DiDacomo, from leading for so long and then just blowing it and being so far back. I think the Mets are the first team to do that. And there's a lot of bad firsts for the Mets. Now, like I mentioned before, it's not all his fault. Injuries, offense, very much helped the demise of Louis Rojas as the manager. Also, was he in charge or were the analytics in charge? I know he cost them numerous games like I mentioned before, and I feel like he was not going to make it through three different front offices. I didn't think he was. You go from Brody Van Wagenen to Sandy Alderson and the Zach Scott era, and now you're going to get another one? I don't think so. And that's why I thought Louis Rojas' fate was already sealed at the end of the season. So moving forward, the Mets have a president of baseball operations to hire, and the search is on. We've heard the big names. We've heard the big three. Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, David Stearns. One of those guys is out already. We heard that Theo Epstein is out. He had a talk with Steve Cohen, and they felt like they were not going to be able to agree on anything. Because obviously, and what was reported by all the beat reporters, and especially Joel Sherman, that He put out this tweet, for Epstein, the Mets were not the right fit now because number one, he wants to be a part of the solution as an advisor to MLB to getting the on-field product more appealing. And number two, he wants his next job to be where he puts a group together to buy a team and start from the ground floor. You know that Steve Cohen was not going to give up part of the team. He just bought it last year. So Theo is out and the search continues. And we will discuss this situation more in depth on next week's episode. I think I'm going to dedicate an entire episode next week to the search for the next president of baseball operations. We'll talk about the names we've heard. We'll talk about other names that we haven't heard. And we'll kind of look at their careers and see how they can help this New York Mets team move forward if they come and join the Mets. Then, Following that, we're going to get into possible managers. The list is out there. I've shown you on Twitter so far of what was said on SNY. We'll get into that. We'll take deep dive into that. So the next two episodes is going to be about the president of baseball operations 
and the possible managers of the New York Mets going into the 2022 season. It's going to be interesting, very interesting already to start now. My final thoughts before this train leaves the station, Michael Conforto's final game. Great job by the fans at City Field, the way they honored him. It, it took a while through most of the game, but at the end of the game, he had a big three hits. He had that big catch in the ninth, and they really treated him well, and it was nice to see him go out like that if it is his last game as a Met. And speaking of the roster, what happens to the big pending free agents? Conforto, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Loop, Javi Baez, Jonathan VR. We'll get into that more by the time I think the World Series ends because that's when, you know, free agency is going to start picking up. We'll get into that then. But for now, I wanted to thank you fans. I know I did it on Twitter, but I want to thank you fans for tuning in this entire season, sticking it out with me. I think we've made over 1,800 fans and followers on Twitter. A lot of love. About 4,000 people have listened to this podcast, and I really appreciate each and every single one of you. I've said it once before. I'll say it again. Thank you so much. And I wanted to thank everyone that I interviewed this season. Elizabeth Mortori, Jake Giblin, Justin Toscano, Tim Ryder, Glendon Rush, Tyler Ward, Nick Davis, Sam Maxwell, Michael Barron, Mike Silva, Jake Brown, Jeffrey Ballone, Al Cintrone, Jeremy Silverman, and Matthew Tutrone, who owns the 1986 clothing line. I could not have done this season without you, and I thank you for coming on my show, helping me out, being a guest, and co-hosting sometimes. So thank you so much. Hopefully more guests coming your way as we go into our second season on Subway to Shea. This doesn't end for us. We're not taking any breaks this offseason. We're going to continue to give you coverage of the New York Mets, and I'll try to have some surprises here and there for you. Uh, I had a big news that I was going to announce on the show and also on Twitter, but I'm going to hold off on that this week. Still trying to finalize some things, but as soon as I do, I will let each and every one of you know. With that said, let's wrap up the show. Please take a few minutes. Write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for every single one of you Met fans out there. So please, go on Apple Podcasts, rate the show from one to five stars. Hopefully you're giving me five stars and leave comments in the review section. It only helps me to know what needs to be done to make this one of the top podcasts out there for baseball and for the Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to the podcast, Thanks for joining us. If you're already a fan, thanks for your continued support. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside their flagship show, the High Spot Podcast, which covers all things wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash highspotpodcast and make sure to subscribe today. Well, that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review for Anthony Rivera. You've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets. <laughs>